This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. When I was in high school, each summer of high school, I would travel to points west and points south via Cleveland and the Greyhound bus line. How many of you ever rode a Greyhound bus? Okay, I don't know, do they still run? They still run? Yeah, that's an experience. That is a full sensory experience. I was often every summer was heading down to volleyball camps down in the Dallas, Texas area. And you had to endure 18 hours of full sensory drives. Everyone needs to know what it's like to ride a Greyhound bus in the 90s. Everyone. Because every Greyhound bus in the 90s had two temperatures. It was either 95 hot and humid, or it was 50 degrees bone cold. And you knew as soon as you got on what the next three hours were going to be like, because it wasn't going to change. Either like, yeah, the blower's stuck, and it's, we just have to hang, okay. Or, or the AC's stuck, you just, you froze, you froze. Every Greyhound bus in the 90s, every cabin chair was broken. Didn't matter, it was broken. And it was a veteran rider who knew how to, if you were going to sleep, you had to wedge your head between the edge of the seat and the window to kind of lock it in there because you didn't want to lean on the guy next to you because who knows what that was going to. So you, you, you kind of, what the other reason you had to wedge your head in is so that you could deal with the, the, the third thing because every Greyhound bus in the 90s smelled like a week old urinal mixed with diesel fuel and vomit. And so you buried your head into that window the best you could so that you could survive the next three-hour stint of your journey. I never got lost. A great system, a great network of transportation. I never once got lost. And I started traveling when I was Jackson's age by myself. And yeah, I'd come and my parents would drop me off at the terminal in Cleveland. I had my bus ticket and I knew I'm going to go from Cleveland to Columbus, down to Nashville, down to Memphis, to Little Rock, to Dallas. And that was the run. That was the run. And, and so I could see, oh, there's the gate, the gate for Columbus. And I'd go out the gate for Columbus, number nine. I go, oh, there's the dock. There she is in all of her glory. And there it's Sid, the big header on the bus going to Columbus because that's where my, I was headed next. And then the driver be right next to the door to check my ticket. Oh, this is the bus heading to Columbus. I'm going to Columbus. This is the bus. Awesome. I'd get on the bus to Columbus and I'd sit there with my ticket to the bus to Columbus and the driver would get on. This is the bus to Dallas. Awesome. Let's do this. Never once got lost. Never once got lost. I knew where that bus was headed. Do you know where this bus is headed? Do you know where this bus is going? <laughs> All right, everyone have a great week. <laughs> Hold on to that answer. What's that? <laughs> it wasn't you the last time either. Jesus is going to have some hard things to say about that. Because many of us, I think, know where this bus is going. 
Many of us think that we're the ones driving the bus. That we're in charge. And boy, Jesus, he's a great roadie. He's a great travel buddy. And faith, that's a good spare tire if you need it. And I've encountered many a person, unfortunately, that treats life like that, only to turn around and find out that Jesus is not there and the tire's flat. Jesus has a lot to say about where this bus is headed. Hard things, difficult things. And I'm so glad that you're here because these are things that every follower of Jesus needs to wrestle with. Every person here needs to wrestle with. Some of us were taught that what this whole thing is about is about coming and getting your bus punt, ticket punched, and then you sit around the terminal and you wait and you sip coffee and you watch a show and someone comes to serve you and then when your ticket's punched, then you go to the good place. That that's the dynamic. Jesus doesn't say anything about that. That's the farthest thing from Jesus' presentation. And the passage that we're going to look at today, there's a whole crowd of people that have gathered around him. And he makes it very clear to them that they would understand this is about to happen next. This is where my bus is going. So let me pray. Let me ask God's blessing over us. If you're watching online, would you bow your heads and pray with us? Spirit of the living God, we ask that you would rest in this space, that you would make yourself known. We know that you're here, but we ask that you would make yourself known to be here, that you would smile upon us, that you'd look us in the face this morning. You'd poke our heart a little bit. You'd prick our spirit a little bit. You'd pull away the veil, that you'd confront darkness. Open our eyes to see. Speak through me. May I just disappear, please. In Jesus' name, amen. Take out a Bible. They're located in the seat in front of you if you didn't bring one. If you have one, you're going to turn to Luke chapter 14. If you're watching online, we'll bring the verses up for you. You can go through your Bible. Carmen's going to have them up on the screen behind me. I'm, I'm going to reference other verses that you might want to write down and look at later. Okay? But let's, let's we're going to hang out in Luke 14 this morning. Verses 25 through 33. Luke 14, 25 through 33. You follow along as I read. I'm going to read through it. Then we'll make some observations together. Okay. Luke chapter 14, verse 25. Now great crowds accompanied him. And he turned and said to them, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife, children, brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, 
whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, this man began to build but was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000. And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. It says that great crowds accompanied Jesus. That's common. That's normal. The longer that Jesus ministered, more and more crowds would just gather around him. He was very popular. But we cannot confuse what a follower is with what the crowd is. Lots of people would flock around Jesus. And so we can imagine as he's on the road, as he's traveling, other people gather around him, probably for multiple reasons. One of them, maybe, Political. This is the political bus. And Jesus, he's our political guy. He's, he's going to change things. He's going to Jerusalem. He's going to the center of politics. He's going to undo Rome. He's going to undo the corruption in the temple and the Sadducees. He's going to set up a new throne. Jesus is our number one guy. They're hopping on the political bus. Some people, no doubt, were traveling with Jesus because that's the party bus. Jesus is cool. He's fun. He gives us free food. You hang out with Jesus, he'll give you breads and fishes, all that you can eat. Oh, yeah. Jesus is fun. He, he does magic stuff. Here, watch Jesus. He's gonna, I saw him heals a guy. I saw him heals a blind guy. This Jesus is the party's bus. No doubt some people in the crowd were looking for the party bus. Some people, I think, were looking for the tour bus. You've seen tour buses on the highway. Oh, this one's going to Washington, D.C. Oh, this one's headed to Miami. Oh, this one's going to go. We're going to go check out. We're curious. We're going to see a new thing. Go check out a cool place. I think Jesus is cool. I've been to Jerusalem for a while. Let's go for a ride. Let's see what's going to happen. I've heard some neat things. I'm just curious. They have no real vested interest. Like, why not? I've got nothing to do this weekend. Let's go for a ride. It's a tour bus. And others, maybe it was just a travel bus. I'm going to Jerusalem anyways. Got some business to take care of. Got to go see my mother-in-law. Jesus is going that way. It's good to travel in a group. We'll go along with Jesus. There are a lot of reasons people would gather around and move with Jesus. But what you need to understand is none of them knew what Jesus was about. Oh, Jesus is going to Jerusalem. He's going there to be tortured. He's going there to be crucified. Jesus is headed to die. But isn't it the same way today? And I don't speak to bemoan you or insult you. Maybe you showed up this morning because, hey, you think, hey, Jesus is politics and someone's got to fix the White House and we'll give House on the Rock a shot and maybe you got some political things. 
Or maybe it's a party. You heard on first Sunday, we got free muffins. So you showed up, you got yourself a free muffin, and you're hoping for a little pause so you can sneak out the back while I'm talking. Cool. Help yourself. Not a problem. Or maybe you're just curious. Heard a little bit about the Jesus talk. I had to go to a church. I live just around the corner. We'll try this one. We're glad that you're here. Maybe you're curious. But it's very, very likely that you have no idea where this bus is headed. It's quite possible that you, who grew up in a church, have no idea where this bus is headed. There's another type of person in the crowd, go that Jesus speaks to in this passage. And it's that person we need to be confronted with this morning. Not the crowd, but the disciple. What is a disciple? It's disciple that Jesus references again and again and again. And boldly. In your notes, here's a way to understand a disciple. Something to write down. If you're online, you can maybe write this down somewhere. Carmen will bring it up. A disciple, two things, receives instruction and a rule of life from a master. What's a disciple? A disciple is someone who receives instruction and, very important, a rule of life from a master. Make sure you write down each of those parts. They receive instruction from a master, a teacher, a rabbi. There's a a body of information that's passed down from master to student, from rabbi to disciple. They're giving me information. They're telling me things to know. They're seeking things into my head. They're giving information. Jesus would give information to his disciples. This is prayer. This is worship. This is order. God is this. The kingdom is like that. Jesus would give instructions. But instructions that are then to inform your way of life. It's not that just as, hey, Jesus is like, hey, here's a good prayer. He now expects you to pray it. He expects it to shape how you pray. He teaches you about generosity. He teaches you about kingdom. And he expects it then to shape your life. Disciples, N.T. Wright said this, disciples means not just head learners or heart learners. They are life learners. How now should I live? And this isn't unique to Jesus. John the Baptist had disciples. Some of John Baptist's disciples left John, or John sent them to Jesus. Hey, you want to go follow him. You want to get his instructions. You want to learn his way of life. Pharisees had disciples. Sadducees had disciples. Essenes had disciples. Zealots had disciples. These are big religious parties in Jerusalem. Rabbis, Moses had disciples. Greek philosophers had disciples. Today we have disciples. Maybe you're a disciple. We have disciples of political parties. Maybe you're a disciple of a political party. You have a platform. You have a follower. And they tell you what to think, and you live a certain way accordingly. Maybe it's red. Maybe it's blue. Sports teams. Maybe some of you are disciples of sports teams. Yeah. 
Well, not after last week. Too soon? Too soon? Says the Steelers guy in the back. Depends on who you follow, right? You can be a disciple. They tell you what to think. They tell you how to shop. They tell you when to show up, right? Yeah, you can be a disciple of a sports team. News networks, you can be a disciple of a news network, can't you? What do they want to do? They want to teach you how to think. They want to teach you how to see the world. They want to teach you how to act a certain way. Doesn't matter if it's CNN or Fox or some of the other ones in between. They want to turn you into a disciple. Big tech, phones, devices. They teach us how to think. They want to shape how we act. They want to say, hey, get on our bus. Join this bus. Let's go for a ride together. The problem is some of us have started to see where that bus takes you and where that bus leads. These people gather around Jesus and he confronts them. If you're going to be a disciple of me, there's a few things that you need to understand. He gives us three qualities of a disciple. And these are things you might want to write down. The first one is this. A disciple first renounces. I'm going to say this multiple times. A disciple renounces, number one, all other relationships. A disciple, whether it's Jesus or CNN or Fox, is going to renounce all other relationships. He says in in 1426, 1426, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father, his mother, his wife, his children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. What does that mean? This is a culture of honor. And your highest allegiance was expected to be to your family, to their heritage, to your ancestors, to the family name. You followed family and you would not do anything to shame family. A disciple, though, is expected to leave that allegiance behind. Hate seems harsh, doesn't it? Like, is it hate? Is Jesus telling me to hate my spouse? Because after yesterday, that's easy. No, that's not. That's not what he's saying. Do not go home to your spouse and say, hey, You know what? I love Jesus and I hate you. Not at all. That's not what he's saying. What is he saying? He says, your allegiance to Jesus should be so incredibly high that every other relationship pales in comparison. Pales in comparison. So parents, which is it? It's a comparative statement that he's making. Is your allegiance to your children so high that it looks like you hate Jesus? Or do your children understand that Jesus comes first to mom and dad? You know, I cherish my girl. I love my baby girl. But if you were to ask her, she'll tell you, Jesus comes first. Actually makes me a better husband. My sons know I love them to the world, but they know they do not come before Jesus. That's the challenge. It's not that we don't have other relationships and there aren't relationships, but they don't bind us in such a way that would keep us from following Christ as the first priority in our life. 
So a disciple renounces those things, meaning they aren't going to tell me what to do. Jesus is going to tell me what to do. Do you have relationships that come between you and Christ? Then you're not a disciple of Christ. Another quality, a disciple will renounce his life. A disciple renounces his life. First, he renounces relationships. He also renounces his life. In 1427, make sure you write that down. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be his own disciple. Some look to Jesus and say, hey, this is the party bus. Some look to Jesus and say, this is the political bus. Jesus says, you have to understand, this is the jail bus. This is the prison bus. Because who carries a cross? In that culture, criminals on their way to death row. He's making a very radical, bold statement that no one would have misunderstood. He says, you have to carry your cross. You need to expect the fact that the Roman Empire will consider you such a threat to the state that they will put you to death for following me. Why? Because a true follower of Jesus, walking in the true essence of Jesus' empire, is diametrically opposed to the values of the Roman Empire. They don't coexist. And Rome will not take second place. This is the essence of what is being said in Hebrews 13, where it talks about, hey, you need to submit to the governing authorities who are over you. Like you need to do what the government tells you. That's not what that means. That means in your practice of following Jesus, you can expect the fact that you will receive the judgment of the government upon you and you need to submit to the consequences. Meaning, I'm a follower of Christ. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I'm not following your values. I'm following the values of Christ. Well, you can expect this. Pick up your cross. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. Is this the line? Let me get in line. And this is not some metaphorical cross. This is not a gold cross that you hang around your neck, which is a beautiful thing. Remind yourself of the sacrifice. He's saying, it is possible, very probable, that you will die in this game. That's where this bus goes. Earlier in Luke chapter 9, he says it this way. He says to all, if anyone would come after me and let him deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me. We embrace a perpetual dying. He says daily, daily pick up your cross. This is not Tim Hortons. They're out of vegetable cream cheese American version of following Jesus. Okay? Oh, it's so hard. Life is so rough. They didn't have vegetable cream cheese this morning. Oh, Jesus, come quickly. Jesus, please come quickly. At least I have my large caramel macchiato. Thank you, Lord. No, no, no. No, the expectation is to follow Jesus is to lay down your life. To lay down your life. For 2,000 years of church history, our brothers and sisters in time testify to the fact you should be ready to die. In Acts 20, the Apostle Paul said, I do not count, I do not account my life of any value, nor is precious to myself 
If only I may finish my course in the ministry that I receive from the Lord. In Philippians 3, he says this, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection that may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. One scholar said, discipleship is not periodic volunteer work on one's own terms and at one's convenience. Another scholar, for what all of his disciples must learn is that to follow, to be a follower of Jesus entails a painful renunciation of self-interest and a wholehearted turn to his interests. So he says some really hard things and then he illustrates it two ways. He's going to use the illustration of a building project and the illustration of a king going out to war to talk about the total, the total cost commitment of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. First, he's going to illustrate it by a building project and then a king who wants to go out to war. Let me read them for you. You follow along. This is uh, verse 28 through 32. Verses 28 through 32. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost, whether he has enough to complete it. Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and he's not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, ha this man began to build, he was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he's able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and he asks for terms of peace. A few years before Jesus said these things, there was a terrible disaster, a, cat a catastrophe, where a great amphitheater collapsed and it killed 50,000 people. And the builder was mocked and raked over the coals for the potential way by which he might have cut costs to do it talking about a narrative, a story that's, that's in their mind. They know what it means to cut the corners on a building project because someone didn't count the cost. Herod himself was in the news recently at the time because he had gone out to war against a local Roman vassal and was defeated because he did not count the cost. How, count the total cost. What is the investment? What does it mean? to be a disciple, a total cost. Knowing that the return is so much more. Amen? That what it might cost me in the temporal pales on what we experience in the eternal. He's saying we need to come to terms before it's too late. If you're the king and you're deciding if you can take on the truth of Jesus or you can take on sin or take on death or take on whatever the monster might be, you need to figure that out before you get to the battleground. And some of you, you are perfectly content keeping Jesus at arm length. Ah, I got this. I got this. He is saying there's no neutral party. There's no neutral party. There's no person that these truths do not touch. 
So seek peace. Seek peace. Thirdly, a disciple renounces all possessions. A disciple renounces all possessions. They renounce their relationships. My relationships don't have a hold on me. My life does not have a hold on me. I know I'm expected to lay it down. My possessions don't have a hold on me. In verse 33, therefore, anyone who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Charles Spurgeon said, if persecution should arise, you must be willing to part with all that you possess, including liberty, with your life itself for Christ, or you cannot be his disciple. A man comes up to Jesus and says, hey, I want to follow you. I want this whole eternal life thing. It sounds like a party. Let's do that. I'd like to give that a shot. And Jesus says to him in Matthew 19, if you would be perfect, go and sell your possessions. Give it all to the poor. You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me. Come follow me. But first you got to let it all go. A disciple holds possessions in an open hand. In an open hand. The apostles knew this. The apostles illustrated this. Peter, James, John, Matthew, you name it, they left it all behind. Jesus says, come and follow me right on the heels of Peter, James, and John bringing in the biggest catch that they'd ever had in their entire life. Talk about a financial windfall. And Jesus says, come follow me. And they left it. They left the money. They left the boats. They left the nets. Matthew left the tax booth behind. The early church, the first months, years of the early church, they're known for leaving it all behind, selling what they have to move the kingdom forward. It's not that we don't have possessions, it's just that they don't possess us. Sure, I have stuff, but it doesn't possess me. And the moment I think it does, it's time for that to go. There's no real room for luggage on this bus. And some find while they're packing their bags, they miss the bus altogether. Everyone is a disciple of someone or something. Everyone is. Everyone has someone or something teaching them and telling them how to live. Everyone is forsaking relationships for their master, will give up their life for their master, will give up their possessions for their master. You cannot serve two masters. But Jesus says, everybody serves one. So let me ask you, who is your master? To what are you chained? Let me suggest one. And I don't know that this applies to everybody, but maybe it'll apply to some of you. This master studies you. This master knows you intimately. This master is with you 24 hours a day, 
This master teaches you how to think, teaches you how to feel, teaches you what to buy. This master tells you what to like. This master feeds your desires, manipulates your brain, and hijacks your head, turning you into an addict. But this master is so, so cunning, so cunning. He has gotten you to pay for the privilege of his enslavement. Like a bond servant, maybe you wear his brand on your ear. Like a prisoner, you might have his shackle on your wrist. This master traffics in your most intimate details, your treasures, your very identity and he sells your soul to the highest bidders. You are his chattel in chains. You will report to him first thing every morning. He shapes your every waking hour. He watches you every moment you sleep. He hears your every word. He spends billions to keep you and your children in permanent servitude. How many of you are discipled by your phone? How many of you are chained to this master? If I'm to take every thought captive to Christ, how can I do that if every thought is captivated by my screen? This isn't a neutral thing. A pencil, that's a neutral thing. It's neutral. This is an active thing. It is a constantly evolving skeleton key, learning and shaping how to hack your head. Platforms like TikTok and Facebook and Google and Instagram and Snapchat and YouTube blatantly boast, they don't hide it, they boast in their priority of how to turn you into a compulsive user, an addict, so that they can get you coming back to fuel the greed of their clients. You don't use Facebook. Facebook uses you so that their advertisers make money. And they work together. Did you know that? Do you know how, understand how well the system works? I was over at Mr. Bill's house visiting. This was a few weeks ago. We were just having a passing conversation in his dining room. The conversation took, what, all of six seconds, Mr. Bill? Six seconds, that's all. You just say, hey, there's something I'm thinking about buying. Oh, that's cool. And I'm leaving, that's it. All of six seconds. We're not talking into our phone. We're not texting things back and forth. We are having a private conversation in the privacy of his dining room, in the privacy of his house. And three hours later, an advertisement for that showed up on his Facebook feed. Do you understand what it takes for that to happen? That means Apple sold his privacy 
to Amazon. So that Amazon, who pays for advertising on Facebook, can post that ad on his newsfeed. They said, oh, this is what Bill wants. Let's see if we can get him to buy it. Netflix, the CEO of Netflix went on record a few years ago. And we all know Netflix. You enjoy Netflix, right? Binge watching. Who doesn't like to do a little binge watching, right? Let's unpack that idea, okay? Okay, binging. You know what he said Netflix's number one global competitor is? You'll never guess. He said, this is what our competition is. Human sleep. The only way for Netflix to continue to grow is to figure out how to get you to sleep less. He went on record and said it. Enter the autoplay. They don't even want you to have to think about it. We'll tell you what you want to see. We've been watching you. You want to see this next. You want to see this next. You want to see this next. And they all take their cues from TikTok. TikTok has hacked how to touch every single dopamine button in your brain. If I'm mastered by my phone, how can I be mastered by Christ? Am I saying you can't have a phone? Am I saying that? I'm not a Luddite. I'm not saying, all right, everyone, drop up your phones in the cross or I'm kicking you out of the church. Am I saying that? Yes, no, I'm not saying that. But let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Who has put their phone down after scrolling social media for a few hours and have come to the conclusion, you know what? I am so much more patient now. I am so much more loving now. I am so much more caring and generous now. Has anyone said, you know what? I am closer to Jesus now than I've ever been. Who has ever, after doping on cable news, said, you know what? I am so at peace. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Fox News, I am resting in the peace of Jesus right now. <laughs> CNN, oh, you bless my heart. Who is less slanderous? Who is more generous? Who wants to come up and say, you know what? My phone helps me become like Jesus. What is a disciple? A disciple is one who receives instructions that shapes their rule of life. If Jesus spoke today, might he say, if you do not hate your phone and come after me, you cannot be my disciple. Everyone breathe in. All right, let it out.
The basket for the phones is over here. No. <laughs> That's not what I'm saying. Any more than Jesus said, you know, you're not allowed to have a spouse. You're not allowed to. No, it's not what I'm saying. But how can we live into this? How can we press into this? Okay. If, if being a disciple is what you want, being a disciple of Jesus is what you want. How can we take our cue from some of the things that he said here? One, uh, you probably need to sit down and do some, some soul thinking, some soul searching. Are you just a part of the crowd? Do you show up when it's convenient for you? Are you just going along for the ride? He says, you need to sit down. You need to count, you need to count the cost. Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus, this is what it is. This is what it is. It's a conscious decision. You decide, I'm following Jesus. This is where that bus is going. I know. When I got baptized, I'm making a declaration against the forces of evil. This is my king. Hell, do your worst. I have decided to follow Jesus. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. The world behind me. The cross before me. No turning back. No turning back. Maybe you need to take your cue from Jesus and it's time to come to terms. With peace. Unless you want to take on sin and death. Unless you want to face the full weight of the dragon and all of his wrath. Do you want to have another king fight your battles for you? Maybe you need to come to terms. Maybe it's time to humble yourself this morning. I've been playing at the game, Jesus. I've been pretending to be a Jesus follower. I thought I knew. I thought I knew. My bad. I've been chained to this and chained to this and chained to this. Jesus, forgive me. You're my king. And maybe another way to press into this this morning. Are there things that just need to be renounced? Are there things that are getting in the way? Is it phone habits? Is it a hobby? That you just need a bit of formal adieu. Adieu. Uh, one of the sole questions on the back of your notes. Maybe in the course of this week, why don't you delete five to ten apps off your phone? Do it. I bet you you got some junk ones there anyways. You haven't opened since 2016. Ask my boys. I had them do it this week. Go delete five apps. Why? Because it's like a junk chore. It just accumulates. But there's a beautiful thing. There's some beautiful things about, uh, I have an iPhone. I can go through and you can see how much screen time I have had, how much time on my apps, various apps, what I've done, how many times I've picked it up. The average American spends eight hours on a screen. Eight hours, that's not computer, I'm working in front of, no, that's eight hours on a device. Imagine if that were invested in Christ. Let's get our instructions from Christ. Up here at this table is a reading covenant. 
What if for the month of February, you made a daily covenant between you and God? Daily, I'm going to read scripture. Daily, I'm going to receive instructions from my master. We're reading through scripture as a church family. Fancy, glossy, colored bookmarks up here for those who sign. Dude, come on. You know you want in on that action. I'm going to receive instruction from my master. I'm going to come before my rabbi, my teacher. There's also, for those who sign up, uh, I have a discussion group that I'm a part of. And you can post questions and reading just to create some accountability and some momentum. But a disciple of Jesus saturates their life with his instructions. We also spend our time the way Jesus would, serving. If you had a chance out in the ministry fair, go around the tables. Maybe put your name in. A follower of Jesus gives themselves to good works. That's what Jesus does. For Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. It's part of picking up your cross and carrying. I serve people. That's what I do. That's what a disciple does. Where are you serving? Let's help you find a way to serve. Presence. Being in Jesus' presence. Gathering when the church family gathers for worship. D.L. Moody said that church attendance is as vital to a disciple as a transfusion is of rich, healthy blood to a sick man. I know this for some of you, this is a little bit different than the Jesus that you were pitched growing up maybe. I just want to go to the happy place. Yeah, Jesus doesn't talk about going to the happy place. Jesus talked about going to the cross. And so for you this morning, I invite you to join me. This is where this bus is headed. This is what it will cost. Rome, Babylon, and the forces of evil will do everything they can to stop that bus. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, Come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.